I'm Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. This is a podcast for women who wonder how strength and weakness coexist, or how to bless both bravery and tenderness. For those longing to bring the fullness of their glory to the world without a chip on their shoulder. For those who have embraced a global sisterhood and left small storied lives behind, this is for you. The fierce and lovely women seeking the both and of a big storied life. Join me as I chat with fierce and lovely women around the world. episode, I talk with Sharon Hoover, Director of Church Missions at her church in Northern Virginia and author of the newly released Mapping Church Missions. I wanted to talk with Sharon because I love the perspective that she brings on this topic. I don't know about you, but I grew up in an evangelical culture that really saw missionary work as the highest calling one could do with their lives. I really believed that and spent the first decade of my adult years on staff with a large international organization in the largest unreached country in the world. And I spent the subsequent 10 years kind of recovering. I, in the meantime, read books like Toxic Charity and When Helping Hurts and went to grad school for community development and got all confused. In times, I felt frozen, paralyzed, not knowing what the best course of action was for missions, especially short-term missions, and not fully understanding how churches ought to be using their time and resources. I love Sharon's perspective because it's so generous and collaborative. And as I think about this idea of women being fierce and lovely the world over, this is the kind of perspective I think we need to bring to the table, is a generous and collaborative one. So join us in this conversation about this hot topic of missionary work and find out how you can possibly win a copy of Sharon's new book. Enjoy. Hi, Sharon. Welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here, Beth. Thanks for inviting me. Sure. No, I'm excited to hear more about you and about your world and about your uh, recently launched book. Um, Mapping Church Missions. It's it's going to be a fun conversation because it touches on a lot of my passions and past experiences. So how about we start off, Sharon, with you telling us a little bit about who you are? Okay, great. Sure. I am currently the Director of Missions at Centerville Presbyterian Church in Virginia. So my role there is to support our mission partners um, to raise awareness of their work um, and then also mobilizing our congregation to be able to serve with them. I especially love helping our church family to discern their places to serve and the best places for them to be able to plug in. Also, over the years, I've had some really wonderful opportunities to be able to travel and lead teams alongside mission partners, both in the U.S., but then also um, internationally. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, well, I live in Northern Virginia. I said that briefly. We're about, I don't know, about 30 miles west of Washington, D.C. And my husband and I have two children, 
Our daughter, Elise, is in her final year at the University of Virginia. And our daughter, I mean, our son, Aaron, uh, got married one month ago. So we're excited to have expanded our family. And we now include our daughter-in-law, Rachel. So over, over the years, I've written devotionals and curriculum and different workbooks for the church and just various as freelance opportunities. I love speaking. I love writing to encourage people to see God at work and also to figure out where they can best join him in their work. Hmm. Well, first off, congrats. Congratulations on adding a daughter to your family. Um, Mm, So exciting. exciting. Yeah. So Sharon, how long have you been in the role of director of um, missions at your church? I have served in that particular role for about five years. Prior to that, I was serving as a director of Christian education, youth ministry, all kind of a family ministry. And one of the primary ways that I believe in discipleship is is being outside of the building. And so I uh, pretty frequently had opportunities for students and families and children to be able to serve with mission partners, whether it was uh, one of our local ministry partners working with with homeless people or in vulnerable families within the community to other places where we would serve internationally and come alongside our mission partners, whether they're church planting or um, uh, serving in different places in other countries. So you've really been leading trips all over the world for years and years, just with different mm-hmm. groups and different ages and wearing different hats. Mm-hmm. But sounds like that's been a real heart of yours for a long time. Yes, I. I. It's interesting looking back over the the journey that the Lord has led me on, and um, yeah, I love being able to find the space even with God's guidance to help create the space where people can really begin to plug in and find where where are my gifts and talents and how can I use those to come alongside what God is doing. And often there are people, God's people, serving in other places, starting ministry, and then these are, these are locations, they are um, work and activities where we can always give and add additional um, to kind of extend the ministries that are there. So whether it's been fun, whether it's traveling there to be beside them, or even just giving an hour or two at a local elementary school, because that's a place where my heart um, just beats strongly, that, um, that God has created us in a way to be able to be His shining light in a wide variety of places. So yeah, I do love being able to connect people to those places. I, I love that you're drawing out on kind of the unique ways in which people have been created to bring the fullness of themselves to God's kingdom. It's not a cookie cutter approach. We don't all excel in one particular area, you know, and mm-hmm. I love that you're trying to unleash that in people and to come alongside of something God's already doing to see his work in that way and to not have this perspective of, uh, we're going to go start it. We're going to go make it happen. We're going to create it, or it didn't exist without us. Kind of a right. kind of thinking. <laughs> uh, it's so interesting, I guess, uh, and I'm sure there are others who share the same 
perspective that no matter where I've gone and had the opportunity to be able to walk, whether it's India or it's West Virginia and the mountains of West Virginia, I have found some of the most amazing men and women who love the Lord with all of their heart. And I can sit at their feet for hours and hours and hours and learn. So it's like we're all, we, we might have these different cultures we're coming from. We have different languages we're coming from, but it's the same Lord and it's the same Holy Spirit that's working and growing everybody. And um, we do indeed want to be able to go to those many unreached peoples and be able to take the name of Jesus. Um, But I have to remember that from Virginia, I, I don't have to launch thousands of miles, that God might have somebody very near to some unreached people, that if I could come alongside them and shore them up because they love the Lord as much as I do and and, and so faithful and are so filled with joy that I see them. And if I can shore them up and encourage them as they reach out, uh, the, the church is this global church that we're a part of can just, will move mountains. I mean, it's amazing opportunities. Okay. You are now speaking my language. And I just love that and would love to hear some stories that that you can Mm. recall easily enough of some of those men and women. I I love men. I love women. But let's focus on women um, for the sake of this podcast and our audience Mm -hmm. and share with us some stories of some of the women that you have had the privilege of sitting at their feet and learning from them in some of the countries that you have visited? Let's see. I guess one that immediately comes to mind, there are many, but one that immediately comes to mind is a ministry that we uh, have a long-time relationship with called Every Orphan's Hope, and they are in Zambia. And this country has just been ravished with AIDS, HIV crisis over the years. So now there's like a whole generation missing. And um, this this ministry has a very unique way to reach out to the orphans resulting from this crisis. Instead of building orphanages that have 100 to 200 children, which is a very hard place to grow up in, what they their model of ministry is unique in that they build duplexes, and then they partner with Zambian churches, and from the Zambian churches, they find widows who have raised their own children, but they have such a heart for the Lord, and they have a heart for these little children, that they come and work for Every Orphan's Hope. EOH then will connect them with eight children, and EOH works closely with the Zambian government, with the Zambian social services. So together, they pair up eight kids, and this amazing woman raises a second family. And so the kids range from about five years old up until graduating from high school. And so right now, there are 12 homes, and the widows are raising these kids. And because there's a duplex, then there are two women who are side by side. So there's encouragement and support with one another. There's a small staff that Every Orphan's Hope has that 
helps out and encourages and provides a lot of resources, does all the paperwork that the social services require in order to track the children. But I want to talk about the widows. These women who I have met and have become friends with, they get up, every one of them, independently, they get up like four o'clock every morning and then they have their own private devotion. Sometimes they'll get together in twos or if they're if the duplexes are near one another, they'll even come together for a time of prayer, group prayer together. Then at around five, they get the children up and the children have a family devotional together and then they begin all of their chores. And then the kids go to school, some go in the morning, some go in the afternoon. Then they have meals together and they're teaching the kids. They are not only responsible for the emotional and the mental health of the children, but also the spiritual health of the kids. And the, um, I, I see their faithfulness and I see their joy in the Lord in the kids that they're raising. So I've been going to Zambia about every other year for the last eight or nine years. And so seeing the kids grow, and now the oldest ones have transitioned out of high school. A couple of them have even graduated from college and have jobs, and they're giving back into the ministry. But when I go and visit with the kids and hang out with the mamas, I'm very happy just sitting on the couch, hearing what God has been doing in their lives, hearing the challenges that they had when they were raising their biological children, when they themselves lost their husbands, passed away. Some of them have buried their own children and the suffering that they have come through and the perspective that they have in life about the faithfulness of God and the wisdom of God. I I just sit there and just keep asking questions and enjoy. I just gain, I feel like I'm just gaining wisdom and, and so enjoy the opportunity to be with them. Hmm. Wow. That is an incredible model, first of all, mm. of orphan care and widow care, right? Mm. The the yes. two groups that we're commanded to care for mm-hmm. and how beautiful that they're caring for one another mm-hmm. because I imagine it goes both ways, right? These widows are, are getting kind of a, a redemptive second chance. Oh, and they say that, Beth. It's so interesting because they say, no, we feel this is a gift to us because there is no retirement system in Zambia. And oftentimes um, the elderly are not respected in a way that helps to sustain them in an older in an older age. And so here they are, they're pouring themselves in. It is a lot of work. I know I, I can't even imagine raising eight children much less eight children that aren't my own, and they're bringing, they're coming because they have lost parents. They have trauma in their own lives. And then forming a family, um, they repeatedly say, this is only through God's hand. So it's an opportunity for see, for them to see God at work, but also it's honoring and blessing them for their life experiences and for their incredible spiritual maturity. And, and then they, once they've been there for a, a while, and when they're ready to like retire from EOH, then Every Orphan's Hope has a widow's fund that honors them 
that will help to provide for them so that when they really are ready to step out, a couple of the widows have since retired from this retired job <laughs> and um, have enough money to be able to buy their own little home and, and be able to, um, to live out their life in a way that they're not anxious and worried and God has blessed them so much through mm. it. Wow. And so your church has been going to visit the same ministry for mm-hmm. for this length of time. Mm-hmm. And what does it look like for your sh- your team? It's a short-term team. You're visiting w- once every other year. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so what's what is your role? How has your church decided to to serve and partner with Every Orphan's Hope? Uh, primarily, we ask them, what do you need? And the first few trips, part of what we were doing is coming alongside them while they were leading a ministry called Camp Hope. So they work with four or five of their partner Zambian churches and host a very large children's ministry, like large, like two or 300 kids. And it's for orphans. And the churches identify the children who are going to be in the camp. Some of them are children that are being um, cared for by extended family members within their own congregation because their parents have passed away. So often it's grandparents or, or great aunts and uncles who have a lot of these little kids. And then the churches also will identify some of the children who are, um, nobody's caring for them. They're living in the street. And um, but the church is willing to embrace them and sponsor them to come. And so we will spend a week with the kids and it's doing fun things. It's playing games with them. It's telling stories, but it's also sharing the gospel. It's having an opportunity to look at scripture and being able to build relationships with the children. It's um, sitting in the dirt and having you know, two or three kids just pounce on your lap and be able to hold them and be able to telling uh, what, just hearing from them. English is the official language in Zambia, but we there are translators there. But so we are able to communicate in most cases. So, um, but then we also have an opportunity to ask the children a little bit more about their lives And we then pass that information to social services so that if there are, um, if any of the kids are in a dangerous situation, that we can pass that to the authorities and then they are able, especially the kids that are in the street, be able to raise them up so that when there is an opening in a housing situation, that those kids can then go to a situation that's better for them. Um, there are so many kids who are just not being cared for at all. And it's hard for the churches over there to be able to take care of all of them. Mm-hmm. So um, the goal with Camp Hope, however, has always been that it would ultimately become fully Zambian-led. And two years ago was the last time we went to lead a Camp Hope. So now all the churches have completely embraced this um this large camp ministry. And so there are no more short-term missionaries coming over to do that. And so we praise God for that. We are sad not to have that interaction anymore, but know 
that this is the best thing and that ministry is now flourishing. And EOH continues to come alongside the churches to help organize the camp. They usually do like two or three camps a year. So um, this last time we went, this actually this past summer, and we were talking about what are what are the needs that you have. And they said, well, probably one of our greatest needs right now is helping our older kids, our young adults, transition into their next life stage. So the mamas are there and the EOH staff is there, but they really don't have like a lot of our kids in the U.S. have our, you know, career counselors and guidance counselors and all that, that our kids can take all these different tests, skills inventories and and um, what are your interests and what are your passions and all those. So I said, well, let's put together a camp for the children who are in Every Orphan's Hope. So I went to some of the high schools that are in our community and talked with some of their guidance counselors and career um, counselors about some of the tools that they use with the kids. We found some that looked like they would be able to cross um, cultures well, and then I scanned them and sent them to the staff over in Zambia, and we looked back and forth. And so we identified a few tools, and um, we were super excited, put the call out for short-term teams, like we're going to do vocational days with the kids. And so we had team members and um, what it looked like in Zambia this summer is each team member was paired with two or three of the kids, um, the young adults, and we went through some uh, interest surveys looking at trying to help them figure out what area of vocation might you be gifted and interested in whether it be um, healthcare, whether it be an educator, maybe it's being a pastor, looking at a wide range of things. And then um, worked through those, then started looking to help them to build a resume and helping them to identify where have you volunteered, what have you done that you could put on something that, that could show a potential employer or a potential intern opportunity that your interests and how you have been able to use them. So we spent the mornings doing that. Then in the afternoons, we had Zambian professionals come in. And so we had a a doctor, we had an educator, a pastor, and a businessman. And then they talked in a panel kind of discussion with the kids about what is it like to go to school to be a teacher in Zambia. What are some of the schools? What what are what are the what's the coursework look like? Then what happens to get your certification? Uh, same thing to be a pastor, businessman, and then we had them break up into small groups so they could then talk to the Zambian professionals on a smaller on a smaller group. So I felt like it was a great opportunity to marry what are the strengths that we the Western Church can bring, and that's all the different resources that we offer our teenagers. Marrying it then with those men and women in the churches in Zambia who want to come alongside the kids who are orphans, but don't know exactly how to be able to serve them. And so we, uh, through the EOH staff, put the call out to their churches. It's like, okay, we need some professionals who would come talk to the kids. And it was just a great opportunity to bring everyone together. And so at the end of each day, it was fun to talk with the kids as they're exploring a little bit more and became a little bit more focused in the direction that they want to go. And the other thing is, 
is that it kind of broadened their idea of what they want to do. Many of them would say, oh, I want to be a doctor, but they don't like science, for example, or they don't like some the specifics of being a doctor. But to hear in the medical field, there are so many other things. You could go to school to be a pharmacist. You could become a nurse. You could work in a doctor's office. And and that, I think, gave the kids hope to recognize that there are a lot of different options and there are a lot of needs in Zambia and places where they could learn to be able to um, put their gifts and their talents. I love that, Sharon. And I love that it's that collaborative spirit um, of designing a trip that, you know, I see that being just a small example of what courses throughout your entire book, Mapping Church Missions, Mm. A Compass for Ministry Strategy, because it's the book I found to be that spirit of collaboration, not necessarily Mm -hmm. always like this example, but in our churches even, having conversation about which direction are we going to go that would inform the design of a trip like that, for instance. Um, Let's talk a little bit about your book, because I think all of our listeners now understand the wealth of experience uh, that you're bringing into this book. Um, you've you've just got years of traveling to many places beyond Zambia and seeing so many different um, situations with trips and long-term staff and national staff and um, your teams. All that goes into this book. Um, so I guess my first question regarding the book is what is your hope for this, what what did you write it hoping it would accomplish? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I, I, I'll tell you first how the idea originally came, and then that kind of goes into it. It um, As I have had an opportunity to talk with members within my own congregation as well as other congregations, um, I found there is a tension as, as people are looking at ways to serve and ways to carry the gospel message. And oftentimes we, we bring to the conversation only those experiences that we have been a part of. And that's just who we are as, as a human being. Um, but not knowing what God can be doing in a completely different realm, sometimes we just dismiss them. And so there ended up being tension in conversations when we're having committee meetings. But then as we start talking a little bit more, then we have an opportunity to see new ways of serving and new ways that God is working in the kingdom. So I'm hopeful that... um, the book I broke down into seven different areas where I have found the most misunderstanding across missions and outreach that the church does, but then also that that I as an individual believer am hoping to be able to serve. And so the book educates and it, it kind of lays a foundation or maybe a framework might be a way to put it of looking at opportunities to serve, activities and ways that we can then bring our gifts and talents together. And then my other hope is not only just for me, myself, and and being able to connect, but for our churches. So within my whole church, how, 
how has God gifted and pulled together the men and women and the families in my congregation? What is the mission that he has for my family of faith? And what what direction does he want us to go? And how does that complement the other churches in my community and the global church? And so I guess the answer to that question is is twofold in that I do want and hope that it will kind of lay things out in a direction for each one of us, but that also it'll um, it'll kind of give definitions. It'll introduce us to a wide range of different types of mission and ministry, and um, hopefully it'll help us all to be able to serve well. I think, the, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the way you framed it is is so helpful because it is seven big conversations that every church ought to be having. And you do just that. You define and describe kind of the, the pros and cons of both sides of that particular category that a church team is having a conversation around. And then you give you know scenarios to consider. You kind of give a, a litmus test for each church to decide where do we fall on the spectrum um, for this particular category. I think it's really helpful, Sharon. And I'm oh, sure it's going to be super helpful for churches. I wonder, could you go broad for just a minute and answer this question? Where do you think the church or even just the greater Christian culture is getting it right and getting it wrong in this bigger conversation of missions? Hmm. I think in in my conversations with different church leaders, um, I hear how churches truly are seeking to serve well. Um, I also hear how there are so many pulls on our finances and on requests for people to give their time. Churches truly, I've seen, are exploring the many, many different ways to connect with the physical and the spiritual needs that are around them, as well as on the other side of the planet. So I see that we're getting it right in that we are hearing the call in Scripture that we are to serve our neighbors and that we are to serve people on the other side of the planet. I think, though, that where we are struggling mostly is um, in identifying our motives and implementing a holistic strategy. Sometimes I think I I hear from people that we're some of our our mission partners, some of our outreach is um, we're doing it more out of a tradition than out of a calling. So a mission partner, for example, um, may or may not be effective, but we're still connecting with them. We're still doing the work just because we always have. Or um, another thing that I hear from people is that, yes, we've been doing this for a long time. We really struggle with getting people to connect. So it's hard. People just don't have a passion for this ministry anymore, but we've been doing it for so long. And so we feel like we should just continue and so the relationship has become more of a, a monthly or quarterly check and, and I mean, literally a physical check financially, but that there, there's nobody reading this person's newsletter anymore. There's nobody truly knowing what's going on in that mission field. And I feel like that comes out of not having a strategy or, or a purpose, if you will, for your either personal or your church's missional engagement. I um, I feel like we can fill our days with serving opportunities and we can send money to any number of different causes. But 
uh, it would be so much more wise for us to pause and to spend time discerning our gifts and our passions and the gifts and passions of our congregations so that we can better choose our mission partners. I mean, and inter- I mean, there some like one church, for example, they may sense a calling to be deeply involved with vulnerable families in their community that are on the verge of homelessness, and the whole church family um, could just be passionate about this and helping in so many different ways. Um, and another church may be equipped and deeply burdened by the focus of the atrocities of human trafficking, and then you have people working with that issue locally as well as internationally. But you can see how with a particular focus or a strategy, these decisions, or, or once you have that, that, that focus, decisions about resources, both time and money, become so much more clear. Yeah. And passion follows. Yes, yes. You're, you're able to rally your people mm-hmm. around something that makes sense. And fits and into yes. the values that you're you're carrying as a church. Yeah. So instead of doing it out of guilt or because my friend is doing it, um, the the first opportunity I have to get out of it, I am. But if if you identify that this is a place that we really can make a difference and we really sense that God is calling us there, um, I really feel the Spirit would move and just draw myself, my family, and my congregation in a direction that we can truly make an impact in the kingdom. You know, it, it requires a lot of courage, doesn't it, for mm. a, a large organization <laughs> yes. to halt and redirect. Um, it's hard. It's hard. I, you know, I, whether it's a church or a nonprofit or a ministry, for for some for a board or for a group of leaders to really pull back the curtains and look honestly and truthfully at where they're where they're going and to make some drastic decisions. It takes a lot of guts mm-hmm. and leadership to do that. And I imagine, I think that's part of probably what you're seeing with churches being hesitant to do that. It, it is very hard. It's so easy for me just to say, oh, we could do this and we should do that. But um, it really, it really is difficult. And um, I'll say this real quickly. If, if there's a ministry that a church decides or a person that we're not able to continue Cutting a, a church or a mission partner off cold turkey is a very that's is that's not a very honoring thing to do to that partner. It's it's a wiser choice to let them know that you're changing direction. That our church family is going. Um, the Lord, we feel the Lord is directing us in a new direction. But that over the course of the next year, that we will be reducing support little bit by little bit. And then by a certain time, like in year two, then you will no longer be able to provide support. But it, that is honoring the history that you have had with somebody, but it also helps them to be able to build support to fill in if you are no longer being called to support that group. Yes. Amen to that. <laughs> because we were, we, uh, my husband and I were on the end of some of those decisions that, um, Came, uh, you know, th- not shockingly, but um, mm-hmm. abruptly, and so yes. that is those are wise words um, for sure. It's having the courage to redirect um, is honorable, and I think any mm. person in missions would respect that decision. But you're right, mutually honoring would would look more like uh, a ramp a ramp down of support and helping even the 
missionary plan and, you know, yes. access maybe other funds from other churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Sharon, you have a, a wealth of knowledge um, for us, and I'm just appreciative of you putting that into words and providing a, a primer of sorts for those involved in missions, ministries at churches and in other organizations. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Oh, it was my pleasure, truly. Yeah. Well, I will be um, linking all of the places where people can find you and find where to where to get your book in the show notes, as well as sharing with them how they can win a free copy of your book. Yes. Um, yes. All the best to you. I can't wait to hear about the next trip you take um, <laughs> and the next story you have to share with us. So thanks for coming on the show today. Well, listeners, I don't know about you, but I would love to meet some of those Zambian widows. Wouldn't you? I love the humility that I hear in Sharon's voice. And when I think about what it means to be lovely, to really come alongside of God and create life and beauty in the spaces in which we find ourselves in, that's one of the things I picture is having a humble spirit, being willing to sit at the feet of others, being willing to listen and learn, being willing to to see and recognize that God is already at work in the world and does not need us to always go and start and create something new. But how can we have eyes to see and ears to hear what he is already doing and join our sisters in that work? Well, Sharon, I think you're lovely and I appreciate hearing from you today. You guys, you can win a copy of her new book, Mapping Church Missions. And here's how. When the show posts on Instagram, you can go there at Beth H. Bruno. Uh, When it posts, go ahead and comment and tag up to three friends who you think might enjoy a copy of her book. I'll pick a random winner in the following week and send it to you. Thanks for listening. I encourage you to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new ones and leave a review if you like what you're hearing. Thanks so much. This is Beth Bruno, and you've been listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast.